Good morning, everyone. I'm going to try that one more time. Good morning. My name's Kyle, one of the pastors here. And yes, we only sang one song. Felt a little weird. So we're going to sing some more after the sermon. And if you haven't already looked at the cover of your program, you'll understand why shortly we're going to do more singing after the sermon. Uh, but first, I want to play a little game. So I'm going to hum a tune, and you tell me what the lyrics are, because I'll bet you'll know most of these. Da, 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 yeah, kind of mumble. I mean, I hear. I know you know that song, right? It's really easy to recognize. Oh, I know. I know those words. How about da 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 Christ alone. Yep. So, okay. Now let's try. Uh, let's try this a little bit differently. Do you know any of Psalm 130? Do you have any of it memorized? Anybody? I bet you do. Hold on. Uh, let me figure out the. Recognize that tune? Out of the depths, like you have a lot of Psalm 130 memorized. You may not have realized that, but you have most of it memorized. Well, if you have that song memorized, you're at least familiar with it. Uh, how about this one? Do you know what Revelation 12:11 is? Probably more of you do than you think. We will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Yeah, you've got Revelation 12:11 pretty much memorized because of the songs we sing. Well, thanks for playing. I know a really short game. So uh, after I was here for one year. I preached a sermon that we called Psalms, Hymns, and Spiritual Songs. I wanted to look at Scripture and see what does the Scripture tell us about our songs, our singing together on a Sunday morning gathering like this. And I've referred back to it many times. And uh, six years, well, actually about six and a half years later, I've learned a lot more. I've done some seminary, and I've grown in some convictions and passions about worship through song. And so uh, with the staff's encouragement... Uh, they said, it's probably time to, to talk about worship through song again and in a sermon form. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Who's up for that? Hey! Okay, so I've titled this message, Worship Through Song. That's intentional. If you've been around us for a while, you've probably heard us use that term. We're not just going to, all right, it's time to worship. No, it's time to worship through song. We're intentional about that. Uh, we call it that because I think there's some confusion in the church in America. I, I think if we were to take a survey and ask people that, that attend church uh, regularly or even semi-regularly on Sunday mornings here in America, they would, would they, we'd ask them, what is worship? Probably most of them would, would say singing. They would at least associate worship with singing. Some of them might even equivalent it and say, worship, singing, singing, worship, same thing. I think that's unfortunate, and uh, that's probably some of our Christian subculture that we call it that. So here, we call it worship through song, just to try to articulate that a little more concisely. One of my hopes uh, this morning is to address some misunderstandings about worship and singing in the church, and one of those misunderstandings is simply what worship is. While singing is worship, worship is not limited to singing. Singing is just one way of expressing our worship. We're gathered here at a worship service. When you give of your finances, when you give tithes, it's worship. When you greet one another, it's worship. Like, really, it is. When we read the scriptures together, 
uh, even right now when we're allowing God to speak to us through the scriptures, this is worship. We worship the Lord together, and I would call this corporate worship. We're together. And there's such a thing as private worship. Individually, I think all of life is worship. So Romans 12.1 is where I, I get this idea. This is one of the, like a worship pastors. This is the verse you should know. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. In view of God's mercy. And if you were to look at Romans 11, you'd see that it talks about mercy quite a bit. But if you look at all of Romans up to chapter 12, chapter 12 is really a hinge point. All before this is talking about, well, starting with like Romans 1, that God manifests himself in creation. And Romans 3, that we are all sinners and we all fall short of God's glory. And Romans 6, it says that because we're sinners, we deserve separation from God for eternity. And so there's this problem. But Romans 5, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We know from Romans 10 that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we can be saved. We can experience God's mercy. And all that leads up to Romans 12 where he starts to talk about in light of God's mercy, in light of what he's done, in light of all this theology we've talked about, Romans 1 through 11, what should we do? Let's worship. We respond in worship. So when we gather, we gather for corporate worship, but also worship is something we do all the time. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is our response. All of our being in worship to God. All that we do, all that we say, all that we think can be worship to our Creator. Some time ago, I formed a definition of worship. Now, I stole some things from some other people, but kind of formulated my own. And this is, this is what I came up with. Worship for the Christian is one's whole life response to who God is and what he has done. It is reflected in every facet of our being, our words, thoughts, emotions, and actions. So we worship with our whole lives, and we gather together for corporate worship. In our corporate worship, we worship through song. We sing our praises to the Lord. Aaron Ivey is a, a worship pastor at Austin Stone Worship in Austin, Texas, and he's a guy that I've really learned a lot from. He, he does a lot of teaching and seminars and stuff. There's a lot of uh, podcasts online. He said, he, talking to worship leaders, he said, we don't start worship, we direct it. As worship leaders, when we come here and we start singing, that's not when worship begins. We're directing our worship, and we start worship through song, but we're, we're directing our worship. Worshiping the Lord on our own and coming together for corporate worship, it's a beautiful thing. And many of us are worshiping in our own homes with song. And then we come together and we sing together, and it's wonderful. I love singing with you, by the way. I hope to be able to do it for years and years. I want to spend the rest of our time together looking at two parallel passages in Scripture. We're going to look at Colossians 3.16 and Ephesians 5.18 and 19. These passages share a lot of things in common, and there's a couple little distinctions uh, first, I'm going to read the verses. They'll be up on the screen if you want to follow along, but I'm going to kind of jump back and forth between Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual, God, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And then Ephesians 5.18 and 19 says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit 
addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. The Colossians verse says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I love this idea. This is in the context of teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. This gives us an idea of what our songs should be about, what we're singing about. And I boil it down. I'm going to articulate it this way. We sing truth. We must sing truth. We could paraphrase this Colossians verse and say, instruct and teach one another by singing God's truth to each other. The words in our songs are extremely important. We must sing truth. In John chapter 4, Jesus talks to a woman about worship. He says, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship God in spirit and truth. These are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. His worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. We must sing truth. More and more people are learning what and how to think about God, or they're learning their theology through music. They're learning their theology, what to believe about God through the songs that we sing. It makes this truth very important that we sing. Also, I find it, all of us can probably admit this, many people are choosing churches based on music style and music preferences, right? That makes our songs so much more important that we're singing songs that point us to God's truth, that our, our hearts can dwell, that Christ's word can dwell in our hearts. So we take great care over our repertoire or all the songs that we sing here at Grace Community Church. Some of you know, it's possible that some of you don't know, we have a worship council. It's made up of godly men and women. And one of the, the major functions of our worship council is to oversee our song repertoire. We critique songs. When somebody, all right, let's, let's do a new song. If we get several requests for a song, let's critique it and uh, let's talk about it. And the first and foremost critique of these songs is it true? We are never going to sing a heresy about God. Definitely don't want that. And sometimes things are vague. And I think it's good probably to avoid that as well. But then we also consider singability for the congregation. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more later. By the way, I love this subject, so I'm going to talk a lot. Um, and we critique the songs for playability for the musicians. Uh, we also consider how it fits in with our current repertoire. Is this a celebratory song? Is this a contemplative song? Is this a confessional song? Is it horizontal or vertical? Now, I use those words a lot with kind of in our inner circle of, of worship team, but a lot of worship pastors talk about horizontal songs. We sing about God to one another. In vertical songs, we sing directly to God. And by that time, I'm closing my eyes. Whether you're coming along with me to, to worship the King or not, that's all right. I'm, I'm ready, to, ready to go full vertical and, and worship the Lord. And no, not all of the songs that I've brought before the worship council made it through. We're not singing all those songs. There's some songs that I dearly love that are just in my private worship because the worship council's thoughts fit that it's, this isn't the best song. And there's other people that have brought songs, so no, I don't have that complete control and reign over the songs. We have a, a council that helps thinks through those things. Music's a great way to remember things, right? How many of you know your ABCs? How many learned it from a song? I need more hands up in the air. I know most of you learned your, song, your ABCs from a song, right? Honestly, uh, I should listen to some of my kids' songs more. They know the, the order of the books of the Old Testament and New Testament. And probably if I were to try to do the Old Testament, I'd confuse some, some of those prophets or I might leave one out. 
So I could do better to, to listen to them. They haven't memorized because of a song. Science has proven that kids and adults remember things better when they are put to song. There are songs to help us remember important American documents. Does anybody know, like, part of the We the People or the Constitution? Yep, from song. Yep, several of you know it from song. Um, does anybody remember uh, a show called The Animaniacs? Yeah, they had um, the, the nations of the world, United States, Canada, Mexico, and I don't know the whole thing, so I can't do it. But if I were to listen to the song, I could probably memorize all the nations of the world. We know the power of songs to help us memorize, and so as a church, we want to sing the word of Christ. We want his truth to dwell richly in our hearts as we sing. And I think this is probably a good place to talk a little bit about our repertoire. Sometimes I get questions about the sources of where our songs come from. In fact, just a few weeks ago, I had a first-timer that stopped me and said, great job leading us in worship, but you might want to check some of the sources of where these songs are coming from. And as a worship council, we knew we got to draw a line somewhere. We've basically landed on, we will critique the individual song and not the source where it comes from. There was a really helpful Gospel Coalition article that kind of helped form that. Uh, the Worship Council prayed about it a lot. We even brought it before the elders to think through, okay, is it okay to sing a song from, from a church that is struggling to really stay anchored to God's Word? What if this song is really good and articulates a great truth? So we decided we're going to critique just the song. And I know I'm going to step on some toes here, but, but listen for a second. If we decided not to sing a modern song because of the source it came from, we probably should look at some of the old hymns and some of the sources that they came from. I know that's frustrating, but I see some, I see some people shaking their heads. And there's no reason to drag some of these people through the mud. Some people didn't have the right belief, and some people really didn't live lives that are worth imitating, but we still sing their songs because they're true and they're good. So we are going to critique... Just the song, that's where we landed. Some churches stop there. Some churches say, no, we're not going to even sing any of the songs from that church because they're just not lining up with things. That's where we landed. Some of you may care, some of you may not. I thought it would be important to talk about it there. And let's not forget that every song we sing was written by a sinner. Unless it's word-for-word -word scripture, which even the Psalm 130 that we sing is not word-for-word. -word. It's close in places, but we're singing songs that were written by sinners. Okay, let's, let's be a little graceful. Okay. I want to address another misconception that I've heard before. I think some people have unfortunately articulated that our singing is to prepare us to receive God's Word. It's to prepare us for the sermon, for the meat. Like really, that's when the truth comes out. And I've heard comments before, and yes, worship can prepare us. We'll be, our hearts will be softer to receive a message that Jack's challenging us from the word, but I think that um, that's a little off. I think it's a little sad, a little confusing, because while God can use our time of singing to prepare us, uh, worship through song isn't so much preparation for sermon. I would call it participation in proclaiming God's word. I think worship through song is participation in proclaiming God's word. We sing the word of Christ. We sing God's truth. We sing the scriptures. I could talk about this point like all day long, but I'm, we're going to keep moving. I want to look at the Ephesians passage. This is one I haven't really, I hadn't really studied that close, but I love how the Ephesians passage starts out. I hadn't noticed it before, but Paul is making a direct contrast between 
uh, being controlled by alcohol or being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Did you know that singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs is a great way to be filled with the Spirit? We sing to be filled with the Spirit. Now, the Bible teaches us that upon trusting Jesus as our Savior, when we repent, when we turn to Jesus, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit, a guarantee of what's to come. Um, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, Galatians 3, 2, if you want to check on that. But we also see the command many times in Scripture to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I think sometimes if we step back, we think, what, so what does that really look like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I think Ephesians 5 is one of these places that we're commanded. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. If you are in Christ, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. But Paul tells us also to fill, to be filled by the Holy Spirit, not to fill up on alcohol, not to fill up on other things, but rather to be filled by the Holy Spirit. And I think he gives us a practical way to do this. Now, I did some research because at first glance, it's easy to say, well, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, that's a fruit of being filled with the Spirit, right? Yeah, and the scholars agree, but I also noticed that there is, I think there's a proactive way that God says, come along here, be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to do everything for you. Here's a practical way you can do it. Sing songs of truth. Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. When you gather, when you're in your homes, this is a great way to be filled with the Spirit. John 14, 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father sends my name, he will teach all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I think sometimes he uses songs to bring to our remembrance what Christ's words are. So we sing to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And let me suggest a practical challenge. If we want to be filled with the Spirit more and more, perhaps we should spend less and less time on social media, on streaming services like Netflix and Hulu, on watching the news, checking sports scores, and we should spend more time singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing truth in our homes. For those of you that can read sheet music real well, we still have some hymnals. In fact, first service, I had a couple of people take some hymnals home with them. Uh, you can go through those and, and learn to memorize more of God's truth by working through the hymnal at home. And in case you didn't know, how many of you like Spotify? Do you have Spotify? Some people do. So our church has a Spotify account, and we have a couple playlists. One of the playlists is of a lot of the songs in our repertoire. And then another playlist is one that I personally have, like some of the songs that said, no, they're not great for corporate worship, but I still love them and I use them. So that playlist is available too on our website uh, or email me. Let me know. And let me suggest one other thing. While K-Love can be helpful in guiding our hearts, I'm not sure that it is a really good widespread theological diet to listen just to K-Love. There's a lot of other good songs out there that I, I think some of those radio stations miss out on. So it's good. I'm not dissing Caleb. I'm glad that your homes are, are filled with those, that kind of music, but there's a lot of other stuff. And many people that have come to worship here, they've noticed that there's a lot of songs that you sing that I've never heard before. You know, we, we sing some songs that aren't on the radio stations, but there's a lot of good, rich truth in some of these songs. Anyway. So both the Colossians passage and the Ephesians passage show us that worship through song isn't just singing to God. 
Now, I don't need to explain that when we worship through song, we sing to God, right? Everybody knows this. But look closely at these passages, and you'll see that we sing to each other about God. I'm going to say that again. In worship through song, we sing to each other about God, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And the Ephesians passage says, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And if you look at the lyrics of some of our songs, you'll see that a lot of our songs, we're speaking about God to each other. We remind each other of the truth of who God is and what He's done. Here's a couple examples. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they're many, but His mercy is more. We're singing to each other. We're reminding ourselves, each other, of God's incredible mercy. Or this one, which has been a recent favorite of many of you. We worship the God who was, we worship the God who is, and we worship the God who evermore will be. A great truth that God is eternal, that He's always existed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So you can see that many of our songs are about God, and we sing to each other. You can see that in the Psalms, too. If you read through the Psalms, you'll see that many of them are about God, not necessarily sung directly to Him. You see, worship through song, I think, wasn't meant to be a concert. And here's a, I have a little soapbox and a little frustration with the way some churches do it. And I don't, I don't think I'd go there and say, you're doing it wrong. I don't think it's a hill to die on. But I think that we're meant to hear each other. If we're going to sing to each other these truths, I think we're meant to hear each other. That's why we're not nearly as loud as a concert you might go to. Uh, that's not why we don't do the fog machine and the, the, the moving lights. And yes, churches do do that. And I, I get it. And many of them are really anchored in God's word, which is great. But I don't think that's really the way worship through song is prescribed in the scriptures. See, when, when we lead up here, I can still see you. I can still hear you. And I love it. One of our values as a worship ministry is participation, not performance. Participation, not performance. If you serve on our worship team anywhere, you've heard me say that probably many times. This is why one of our song critiques is singability. Maybe something you don't think about, uh, but some of you have noticed, some of you have commented, we came here and I can sing the songs. It's great. Uh, Singability, the range of songs. I noticed that uh, we don't sing songs in the same keys as are on the radio. Probably not too many guys out there can sing as high as Phil Wickham. Anybody? I know you can, but most of us can't, right? It's not ideal range for the church to participate. And if that's the goal, to get truth on the hearts and lips of people, to participate in worship through song, let's put it in a key that works well. And some of the songs we sing, we've taken out octave jumps. Not all of them. I talk to other worship leaders. Man, I struggle. I love this song. We jump up the octave like it loses energy. It's because the church can't follow. A little, little complaint, a lot of people that are writing worship songs... They do, they do all these epic, I mean, the, the octave jump is fun, but I don't think it's written for the church. People aren't writing songs with the church in mind. Some are, some are. Some songs haven't made it quite through our, our critique process because the melody was simply difficult. Like, that's hard to learn, it's just not sticking, I'm not finding myself singing it, it's not stuck in my head. And actually, we have five music teachers on our worship team, so if we wanted to perform, we could, but that's not the goal. The goal is participation. Yeah, amen. I agree. 
Many of you sing out on Sunday mornings. And honestly, my favorite thing about Sunday mornings is hearing your voice. You guys sing out loud and strong, and I love it. And I know there's room for more. So we're going to sing a little bit later, and maybe it'll be your first time to just belt it out. Perhaps you've noticed that when I, I lead, I put one earbud in, but I also keep one earbud out because I love to be able to hear you. They're, they're pretty good noise counseling, so if I put them both in, I couldn't hear you at all. I'd just hear whatever's in my ears. But I love to, to gauge how much participation there is. And sometimes on an acapella time, I'll just pull them both out just to let the sound of the saints worshiping the Savior ring in my ears. In my seminary studies, I wrote a paper on how the Reformation affected worship through song in the church. I was fascinated. I did a lot of reading, a lot of studying. Um, I hadn't stopped to think about worship through song before the Reformation. Before the Reformation, most services were in Latin. And most people sitting and coming to a church facility couldn't understand the scripture readings. They couldn't understand the singing. It wasn't in the common language. That baffles me, but I, I did the research. It's true. Many places, they, they couldn't understand. Can you imagine going to a worship service and not understanding because it, it's in a different language? cannot imagine that. Only the priest understood the readings and what was being sung. There was not great participation in those services. The reformers knew that they had to get songs full of scripture into the language of the people. So Luther in particular, he wrote letters to musicians, and you can actually find these online, that the copies of the actual letters that he wrote to musicians. He said, I need help. Can you help us get scripture into song into the common language of the people so they can participate? He knew the lyrics needed to be accessible to the church. He asked the musicians to use simple melodies that could be sung easily. He even often encouraged using melodies from like secular songs that were really memorable. We probably wouldn't do that here. I don't know. But they used secular melodies because they knew the people would remember them and put the truth of scriptures to them. And he asked those writers, he said, start in the Psalms. Start in the Psalms and let's translate that into songs that our church can sing. So I actually have that paper if you're interested Maybe a few of you geeks would like to read the paper that I wrote on how the Reformation affected worship through song. I'd be glad to email it to you. Just let me know. Send me an email. All right, let's move on. So I want to suggest that the Scriptures encourage us to sing a variety of songs. Paul uses this phrase, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, both in the Colossians and the Ephesians passage. And in my study, here's, here's what I landed on. This is... Not everybody holds this view, but here's what I landed on. I believe that the Psalms refer to the Old Testament Psalms. And I believe hymns were any songs that weren't the Old Testament songs that were sung, you know, in their gatherings. And I believe that spiritual songs would have been spontaneous or impromptu songs. And one reminder, when you hear that, when you hear Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, what do you think of when you hear hymns? Are you thinking of like Amazing Grace and some of these hymns? I obviously didn't have those hymns back then, so let's reset for a second and think. When he says hymns, it's not the same songs that we are thinking of. By the way, I think it would be interesting to take a poll. What makes a hymn a hymn? It'd be interesting to sample this church body here. Is it, if it's a certain age, like if it's so old that it's a hymn, or if it's the verse-chorus structure, or if it has to have a certain theological richness to it? I think we'd be surprised at how many different uh, sets we'd come up with of, of what makes a hymn a hymn. 
Anyway, I don't hold too tightly to this thought of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs because it's, it's pretty inconsistent among scholars. But what is consistent is they say Paul is encouraging that we sing a variety of songs. So did you know that our elder team wrote a paper about worship through song many years before I was here? It's available on our website if you're interested. Uh, the elders had to make a decision. They decided Grace Community Church would have a blended worship service leaning towards contemporary. The words are blended towards, leaning towards contemporary. And that's been one of my guidelines that I've tried to help to while I'm here. I thought, you know what, you might be interested to know what are some of the most common songs that we sing here on Sunday morning. So before you put that slide up, does anybody have a guess? I've, so I've been here since July 2014, and Planning Center is really slick. You can print out like a, uh, a report that shows you what songs we've sung. So any guesses, I've got the top eight songs that we've sung on Sunday morning since 2014. Let it out. You're thinking of one. In Christ Alone. In Christ Alone. Didn't make the list. We sing a lot. Anybody? See if anybody can get one. Or I'll embrace that awkward silence for just a little bit. See? Glorious Day. Yeah, that actually is one of those that's on there. Way to go, Pete. Somebody give Pete a tap on the shoulder. So, okay, you can put them up there. So here's the, here's the songs, the top eight. Only King Forever, This is Amazing Grace, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, Jesus Paid It All, Found in You, Before the Throne of God Above, Build Your Kingdom, and Glorious Day. Those are the, the eight songs that we've sung the most since I've been here. thought you might find that interesting. A couple of those I would call hymns. I'm not sure why I would call them hymns, because they're old, I guess. But one of them I would probably call a modern hymn, How Deep the Father's Love. That's not that old. Yeah. Did you know that there are six psalms that command us to sing a new song? Not just a suggestion, but a command. So sing a new song. And I believe that one of the reasons is because sometimes we need to hear a truth in a fresh way. So I grew up singing hymns, but there were some hymns that I sung and I never stopped to think about what I was singing. The Ebenezer thing was Scrooge to me until I was like in college, which I'm sad to admit. I should have like educated myself and figured out, okay, what are some of these words? Because I don't know what they mean. But I think that we need, I'm sorry, I'm adjusting my mic. <laughs> I think that we need sometimes fresh ways of articulating um, an eternal truth. So let me give you a couple examples. How many of you remember singing There's Something About That Name? Let me suggest that what a beautiful name is a pretty modern equivalent to the same song. How many of you remember singing Just As I Am? Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, some of you. Let me suggest that Oh Come to the Altar is a pretty fairly modern equivalent of that song. I could give you more if you want. But I, I think sometimes we need fresh articulation of truth, and especially for younger generations. So I would also suggest that uh, the variety of songs would also encourage a variety of styles. Um, one mistake that I think many worship leaders make is they, they come, they get a new job, and we got to play it just like Elevation does. So I need two electric guitars, I need the keyboard, I, need, I don't need a piano, get rid of the piano. 
Um, and they think, I, I have to do it like they do it. But I think we could make a pretty easy case from Scripture that God blesses and gifts the local body of believers with what it needs. And I think more worship leaders should come to a job and say, okay, what musicians do we have? And I really think that's the way it should be, which is why we have a saxophone player sometimes. One of my, it was probably within my first year or two here, you know, a saxophone player came up and said, would you ever use a saxophone in a worship service? I don't know. I've never really heard of anybody that has, but yeah, let's figure it out. And that's why we have a trumpet player. It's why we have a, a ukulele player. Yeah, I think it's just good. And I also think it's good to do a variety of styles. Hopefully nobody would think, oh, there's no drums today. I can't worship. But maybe like subconsciously you're kind of thinking that. <laughs> but we should guard ourselves from being married to one style of how we do worship through songs. Some of you love the bluegrass hoedown type style. It's good to do that every once in a while. And again, sometimes Andy and I get up here with the ukulele and the acoustic guitar. I think it's a good change up to remind us there's lots of different styles of worship. It's really the truth and the songs that direct our hearts. Okay, let's move on. So we sing from our hearts. The Colossians passage says, with thankfulness in your hearts to God, and the Ephesians passage says, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. When we sing, we engage our hearts. Now, Jack challenged us last week, maybe stepped on some toes in our singing. He reminded us that it's okay to be expressive. Some of us perhaps come from the, the frozen, chosen people that we don't like to express our worship. And he even challenged us, it's commanded to, to lift up holy hands to the Lord in prayer, in worship. And one of the words for praise in the Old Testament uh, really has this idea of raising your hands in worship. Now, we're going to guard against emotionalism in our singing. And by this, I mean, you could take away the lyrics from a song and we can go on an emotional journey. Because music's beautiful. It, it, it can take our emotions to different places. But the idea here is we want truth to move us. Truth should be coupled with, with beautiful music to articulate that truth. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. When I ponder this truth, I want to sing. Sometimes I get so overwhelmed, though, that I can't sing. When I think about what God's done for me, it's incredible. But we want to sing from our heart. I shared with you one of our values as a worship ministry, which is participation, not performance. I wanted to briefly share with you another value. If you're, again, if you're serving on a worship team, you've heard this, but perhaps some of you haven't. We value theology before feeling. Now, this is not theology as opposed to feeling, but theology before feeling. It's truth that stirs the affections of our hearts. So I've led worship before in a church where uh, we loved God with all our minds really well. But I kind of felt like that was about it. I've also led worship in church before where it seemed like we just needed that emotional roller coaster of where the songs take us and the words really weren't that important. And we want to we guard against emotionalism Sometimes, however, the truth that we sing can overwhelm us. And I think that's okay. 
So some, if you've been here long enough, you've probably seen me step away from the mic sometimes. I get overwhelmed when I think of what I deserve and yet what I am receiving because of Christ's work on the cross. It just hits me like a ton of bricks. Hits me in the feels. I think it's what's what some of the youth say, right? Hits me in the feels and I got to step away from the mic and let you all sing because I'm overwhelmed. And I used to disengage my mind when I led. I thought, oh, I'm getting overwhelmed by the truth I'm singing, but I have to lead. So I'm going to stop thinking about this truth so I can just keep leading. And the, the church that I served at in Nebraska for a while, the worship team said, don't do that. Let it, let it happen. We need to know that sometimes the truth of the gospel is overwhelming and brings us to tears, joyful tears, and that's okay. So I try not to smile that when it comes upon me. It does sometimes. We overflow with thankfulness and joy as we sing. We want to sing with our hearts. Science has shown that the ebb and flow of really loud music can move us, it can move our emotions with constantly at so much of a decibel. You can actually get the brain releases these chemicals and you can kind of manipulate the emotions. That, that's not the idea here. Um, music is the medium for truth. Music is the medium for truth. The music needs to reflect the truth. And that's why on a verse about the cross, we might drop some of the instrumentation. It's contemplative. It's, it's heavy. But on a, on a verse about the resurrection or Christ's return, we're going to bring the instruments in loud. We're going to make a loud noise because it's triumphant. It's beautiful. It's awesome. You know, I, side note, I think an underused tool in music for worship leaders is the key change. Because like right now, most of these people want to, you do the octave jump because it's epic. It sounds cool, except your church goes, I don't know what to do. I can't sing that high. Why aren't modern worship writers writing with key chains? That's how you, you get that extra oomph. Anyway, I see several musicians shaking their heads. Music is a medium for the truth. Um, we want the music to reflect truth. I usually use this as a negative example I had somebody share with me the story behind the song because I know there's a story behind the song. It doesn't make sense, but everybody knows the song. It's Christmas time too, so Christmas time is here. Happiness and cheer. It's, it's a minor key. It's depressing, right? The melody is depressing, but the lyrics are like, happiness, cheer, Christmas time. And somebody reminded me that that's actually in the Charlie Brown Christmas and it's all, it's heavy. I'm supposed to be happy until the truth of the Son of God was proclaimed. And then there's truly worship. But I always use that with our, our worship team, say we want, we want the music to reflect truth. That's a good example of it just doesn't feel right to sing that happy lyrics with a, a minor key. Anyway, there are songs that really help us sing from the hearts. There are also some songs that have beautiful music but are light and fluffy on theology or vague. We should avoid those. There's also songs that I think have great lyrics, but the melody is forgettable. Like, that never would get stuck in my mind. It's, I don't know, it's clunky. It's a clunky melody. That's the word I would use for that. And I think we should avoid those songs too. There's plenty of good songs out there. Um, and I think one simple test uh, to see if we're experiencing emotionalism or our, the affections of our hearts are being stirred by truth. Now, this might sound funny, and I'm not trying to be funny, but... If you could sing one of these songs about a boyfriend or girlfriend and you wouldn't have to change any of the words and nobody would notice the difference, we should probably avoid those. 
there's not a, a clear articulation of what Jesus has done for us. So I used to sing the song, and I used to lead it. Uh, Draw me close to you, never let me go. Anybody remember that song? Like, you could, you could hear that song, and like, if, you, if anybody saw the lyrics, what's that about? Well, surely a, it's a relationship between a guy and a girl. Anyway, so I don't sing that song anymore. I don't lead that song anymore. Yeah. If it could, uh, I would suggest we avoid songs like that. We want to sing truth that is coupled with a great tune that moves us, that gets stuck in our minds through the week. Uh, do you remember the Lego movie? Everything is awesome. Everything is cool. Like that song gets stuck in your head. Like that's the goal with worship through song. I want those songs, that truth to get stuck in our heads. One of the most encouraging notes of encouragement that I sometimes receive is when somebody stops me the next week or throughout the, throughout the week emails me, I could not get that song out of my head. That's a win. That's a win. I love that. Truth is resonating in their hearts and they can't get it out of their mind. It's stuck in their head. So, friends, I know that many of you sing. I know that some of you could engage more in worship through song. And I want to invite the worship team back up. You can, you can come on up. We're going to spend some more time in worship through song. Um, and yes, perhaps some of you cannot hold a tune. It's not an excuse. It's just not. Maybe you don't have to be the loudest person in the congregation if you can't hold a tune, but you should sing. I've known some wonderful guys that can't hold a tune, but man, they, they love to, to sing out, and it brings me so much joy to stand next to somebody like that, knowing that, man, his heart, he loves Jesus, and he's pouring it out. I want to encourage you to sing from your hearts. May the affections of our hearts be stirred as we sing truth. I'm praying that one of us will raise our hand for the first time. As we sing here just in a moment, one of us say, you know what it is commanded? I can do this. Somebody will raise our hand for the first time and worship through song. And that somebody might sing out loud like never before. Their soul might sing like never before in our time of worship through song here in a minute. Let's make melody with our hearts to the Lord. Let's worship the Lord together for who He is and what He's done. He is faithful. He is good. He is holy. He is just. He is all-powerful, all-knowing. He is everywhere. He is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He is worthy of our worship, and one of the ways to do that is to sing praises to Him. Come on, church. Worship the Lord through song one more time. And please stand with us so we can worship together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him. Oh uh -huh. 
shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home. What joy shall fill my heart? Then I shall Savior, and that would just help God's truth dwell in your hearts. Richly, I pray we'd come back in anticipation every Sunday to join our voices together in worship through song. And I'm going to end with just kind of the brief sending. You are the church. Go be the church. Grace, we are sent.